morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Today is Thursday, September the 23rd, and we gather this next hour around the gift of the inspired and true Word of God and put on our Christ goggles in Leviticus chapter 9. Let me say this. Leviticus chapter 9 is awesome. I'm so excited to be able to study it today. The seven-day-long ordination service is over. I mean, my goodness, we had a two-hour-long one a few months ago, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is forever. Now imagine seven days long, and now they know that this man and the priest were put there by the Lord, and it points us to that time where the pastor goes into his office for the first day and wonders, what am I going to do? We don't have to worry about that with Aaron, because it's time to get to work, and we will see what that first day is like for Aaron. And most of all, as we look at Leviticus 9, you probably have never never read it before, but of course, it points us to Christ. The gifts are ready, ready for you. A special thanks to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. As you look at their website, lhfmissions.org, it is amazing to see the different resources that are going out around the world faithfully sound Lutheran Christ-centered resources for people of many, many different languages. So visit lhfmissions.org for more information on their great work. To help us to be strengthened by God's Word this morning, we welcome back Pastor Brian Ketchelmeyer of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Los Alamos, New Mexico. Pastor Ketchelmeyer, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Oh, it is great to be here to talk about the Lord's work. (laughs) Pastor, tell us about what's going on for you, your family, and the work of the saints at Redeemer. (laughs) Well, uh, funny that you may ask. The last time we (laughs) talked, I was telling you that we had COVID in our household. Well, uh, we were not able to uh, keep the COVID uh, secured in one side of the house, so eventually I got COVID and my wife got COVID, and so uh, we are now uh, recovered from that. Uh, but still a little tired, which is interesting. Mm. But uh, <laughs> so we're, we're we're gearing back up. We had to shut down church service uh, because the pastor gets COVID, um, <laughs> which is problematic. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, we're we're back in the groove here in Los Alamos at uh, Redeemer, and uh, we once again are providing Word and Sacrament ministry in person. So this is a great blessing to. Uh, uh, to work with the saints here in Los Alamos to rejoice in the gospel. Well, it's good to hear that you all are recovered. Was it something that you had members, quite a few members, also get COVID, or was it kind of no, confined no, to your no, home? No, no, no. Just my household. So (laughs) at least we kept it contained to uh, one house, and it didn't spread to others. Uh, That, that of course, is a concern. You know, it was a concern that what happens if uh, I had spread this to members of the congregation, of course. Well, well, we thank God for that. Reminder to our listeners to pray for uh, those who have had COVID that, like you said, it's not something you have it, you get over in two days and it's gone. There are, you know, lagging effects for various people in various ways. So continue to pray for the Ketchelmeyers and pray for everybody. I have one of our members was diagnosed, nothing that they were at church or anything. Um, but it's sometimes the anxiety of hearing that you have COVID is almost worse than COVID itself for people. So pray not only for them to be healed, but their souls to be comforted by our Lord. So uh, uh, Pastor Ketchemeyer, can you begin our time as we look at the scriptures and, and begin our time in prayer? Yes, let us pray. 
in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you've given us the gift of yet another day. We pray, O Lord, that you would send your Spirit upon us to open our ears to hear your voice clearly, open our eyes to see Jesus, and open our hearts to believe all the promises you give to us fulfilled in your Son, Jesus, our Savior. We pray in his name, for he lives and he reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. If you have any questions for us concerning Leviticus chapter 9 or any parts of Leviticus, drop us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, or call us, 314-821-0850, 314-821-0850. Now, Pastor, uh, I started this by really giving a big push that this is going to be a great time. Of course, it is going to be a great time, but I was reading this yesterday, and I was like, this is Awesome. Leviticus 9 is a crown jewel in the book of Leviticus. And so um, maybe I pumped it up too much. I don't know. But you tell us, uh, Pastor Ketchemeyer, uh, how do you want to introduce to start us off this morning? Well, here's what I want to do is I want to talk about the book of Exodus. <laughs> so, yeah, here we go. No, we're not. Hold on tight. Introduce. <laughs> I, I want to give us a running head start, and then we're going to leap into uh, chapter 9 in Leviticus. But yes. I, I think that this background information will kind of help us to understand what's taking place here. So if you go backwards into Exodus chapter 27... For example, starting there, this is where we have the introduction of the Tent of Meeting. And so it's at the Tent of Meeting where God will meet with his people. In Exodus 27, Moses, as the mouthpiece of God, the mediator between the Creator and his people, Israel, Moses is meeting with God, receiving this uh, divine uh, institution uh, of how all of this worship will be laid out for the people according to God's Word, so that it's pleasing to God, that you would have God's favor, His delight, His acceptance with His Word. Now, idolatry, on the other hand, is always worship without God's Word. So when you're going from Exodus chapter 20 with the Ten Commandments, you get to 27, first time the tent of meeting is mentioned here, and the intention in Exodus 27 is that Aaron and his sons shall tend to the tent of meeting, because this is going to be the meeting place with God. Well, Moses, of course, is meeting with God, receiving all of this divine institution of worship, how God desires to be present with his people for their benefit and blessing. And then it's in Exodus chapter 32. So just a few chapters later, five chapters later, the people become a little anxious. Uh, they're concerned. They haven't seen Moses for a while. And they start to say, we don't know where Moses is. We don't know where he went. He's gone. He's never coming back. And they go to Aaron in Exodus 32, and they say to Aaron, do something. And they want Aaron to give them a worship of Yahweh, but without God's word. And so Aaron, from the imagination of his own heart, decides this is what he thinks is pleasing to God. And that's where he says, well, you know, give me your gold. And he makes, this is where we have this word asah, this Hebrew word asah, to make, to do. The first time we ever saw this word asah, ironically, is with Adam and Eve in the garden. When Eve is making, she's making those uh, those loincloths out of uh, the fig leaves. 
so she's making clothing out of fig leaves to cover their, their sin and their guilt. Well, that's the first time we have idolatry, because Eve is doing something without God's word, thinking that it's going to make God pleased with them. And so Aaron's doing the same kind of thing here. He's making something. He's making the golden calf. Now, we want to remember this, because this Hebrew word agel, this, this calf, uh, this is important. We'll see this in Leviticus chapter 9. But Aaron decides to make a golden calf to be the place of God's presence. The problem is God never made a promise that he would be present at the location of the golden calf. But yet Aaron, without God's word, with Aaron's word, he says that this is good and it's a feast to Yahweh. Well, that's that whole problem that's going on there where Moses and Joshua come down from the mountain and they think they hear this words of war, but instead it's singing and they find out all of this is going on and it's just a horrible mess. And so, of course, Aaron is uh, set to the side. Moses mediates for him. And then it's in Exodus chapter 33 where once again we hear about the tent of meeting. But now in Exodus chapter 33, it's Moses who's going to go to the tent of meeting. It's Moses who's going to go in and out of the tent of meeting, and that's the place where God will stand in a pillar. And so there's a relation between this uh, verb of standing and the pillar, like a pillar stands, that that's going to be the promised presence of God in a cloud. This is where God is present, always pointing to the second person of the Holy Trinity, the Son of God, the Eternal Word. And it's here in Exodus. Exodus 23 at the tent where Yahweh is speaking to Moses and Joshua is with Moses because Joshua is on the side of Moses when all this whole scandal took place. But that's going to be the issue here, is that Moses, apart from Aaron, is at the tent of meeting that was originally intended for Aaron and his sons to tend to where they would meet. Once we get to Leviticus chapter 9, that's where finally you have the handing over of this to Aaron and his sons. And Moses is going to be uh, giving that recognition that now look to Aaron as the high priest and his sons. It's kind of this, this whole, uh, this, this ability for the people to see that now Aaron is accepted as the one who will stand there as high priest before the face of God. And not Joshua here. So this is very important that it will continue on at the altar and the promised presence of God, worship with God's word. So a handing off of sorts, but it's, it's you know, and I really appreciate how you did that because uh, how you presented that, because one, it's very difficult sometimes to read the Pentateuch. Um, the Torah and to read all five books and really understand the context. So here it's not like you went from Exodus 33 to Leviticus nine and made an easy transition to understand that. But the way you presented that shows us that it is, is significant and how it connects and how it works in order. Now it's a handing off from Joshua um, and Moses to Aaron, a, a handing off of sorts, but it takes us a little time to get there. Any last thoughts before we get to uh, the text? Well, again, so I think this is the significance of this tent of meeting is the place where the people will meet. They will congregate. And so even there's, a, there's this connection between the Hebrew word for meeting and the word for congregating or a congregation. So that's going to be the place, a location. And whenever we see a place where God has promised to be present for the benefit of his people, this is always pointing toward the incarnation. That is the place. If you want access to the Father, it's through the Son. 
favor from the Father comes through the Son. He's the location in his body and blood. So that location of the tent, the tabernacle, will shift, of course, to the person and work of Christ, who, as John says in his Gospel, the Word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. And it's interesting, yesterday with Dr. Kevin Golden, he made a big emphasis about when they gathered for the ordination of Aaron and his sons, it was a public event, that this was not something they're hiding behind walls, but also, and you you brought it into this as well, that God um, was going to publicly come among his people. And once again, we see Christ in that public uh, nature of the sacrifices, and today as we see the glory of the Lord. All right, anything else? This is getting better and better as we talk. I think we better start with the text. <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep going. Reminder to our listeners, we will be reading from the English Standard Version of Holy Scripture, Leviticus chapter 9, and I will read the first seven verses. Seven verses. On the eighth day, Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel, and he said to Aaron, Take for yourself a bull calf for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, both without blemish, and offer them to the Lord. And say to the people of Israel, take a male goat for a sin offering and a calf and a lamb, both a year old without blemish, for a burnt offering and an ox and a ram for peace offerings to sacrifice before the Lord and a grain offering mixed with oil for today the Lord will appear to you. And they brought what Moses commanded in front of the tent of meeting and all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. And Moses said, This is the thing that the Lord commanded you to do, that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Then Moses said to Aaron, draw near to the altar and offer your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself and for the people to bring the offering of the people and make atonement for them as the Lord has commanded. Now, uh, Pastor Ketchelmeyer, one word that struck, now one sentence that, that struck me is saying that today the Lord will appear to you. So I, you know, this gets me into the anticipation piece of this, but it gives many instructions. First day in the job, here are the rules. What did he tell Aaron? Well, so here's the thing. Again, remember when, when I was kind of giving that introduction. When we think of idolatry, we mistakenly think that it's, it's merely the worship of statues. Idolatry is technically worship without God's Word. So this is going to be the key here. When Aaron mm. decided to make that golden calf, it was worship without God's Word that's the problem. So in essence, it wasn't the problem of the statue per se. It's that it, Aaron decided on his own accord, this is what he thinks is good and pleasing in God's sight. And so you, you have the Word of God. So here now we have the worship with God's Word. So again, it, it's kind of this, this re-consecration of the whole system that was put in place going back to Exodus, Moses had received the divine uh, uh, revealed word, the will of God on Mount Sinai, and now he's giving this, he's handing it over to Aaron. I mean, there's a direct connection between uh, you have what Moses commanded and what the Mm -hmm. Lord commanded. So the Moses, he's the mouthpiece of God, he's the prophet, and he speaks the word of God. Aaron was not speaking the word of God. So now Moses is giving that word to Aaron. Uh, Aaron has this word, and now he is to 
give this word to the people, and he's to do in accordance with this word. So you have this shift of now this is the appropriate worship with God's word, and now Aaron is going to be the one who stands here doing what God says to do. Even this word to do, again, is this Hebrew word for asah, which is to make or to do, and sometimes we have this translated as to offer. It's doing something. It's making something. Again, that's what Eve did without God's word when she made the the loincloth out of fig leaves, and it's God who comes back and redoes things and makes them out of the the skins of animals, which of course points to the substitutionary sacrifice of the Son of God later on in the New Testament. But here we have that shift that now you're going to focus on Aaron and what Aaron is doing according to the Word of God, which will always show forth the person and work of Christ. So Aaron is high priest, but we're waiting for the true high priest. We're waiting for one better than Aaron. Moses is prophet and mediator between the people and God's wrath because of their sin, but yet we're waiting for one who is better or greater than Moses, the true prophet, the one who is the true mediator between man and God. We're going to see all these sacrificial systems. You have the sin offering, the burnt offering, the peace offering, the grain offering. All of this is to show forth the person and work of Christ, who is the all-availing sacrifice for sins, the atonement, the atonement in his blood. So all of this is painting the picture of the people for this waiting and anticipating the coming fulfillment. Now you have shadows, but then you will have the body which is Jesus himself. So Aaron is shifting this uh, towards this direction of of the ritual with God's Word. So it's not just a ritual or ceremony that Aaron came up with. It's in accordance with God's Word, where God promises to be present and to give his favor, access, and the forgiveness of sins. I think it's important as we look at this, to remind, to remember, yeah, you brought us back to Aaron and the golden calf, which was idolatry, and to define it the way you did, worship without God's word is is a great, it's a great way for us to think about idolatry. Often we'll go to the first commandment, which says we should fear loving God above all things, and that's not that's not a wrong explanation, obviously, but to really even move it along one step further is any kind of worship without God's word. That was Aaron's issue. Now. We see what happens with God's Word and the importance of how that relates to them and also for us today. And I wanted to ask that question. When we talk about worship without God's Word, we have that golden calf. Now we see as an example of with God's Word. Why is that important for us to remember that definition for us today? To worship without God's Word is idolatry. Any thoughts on that? Well, I think what's vitally important here to understand is that Aaron's not an idiot. I mean, let's be clear. Aaron is not a theological nincompoop, okay? I mean, he was there with Moses this whole time. He was there with Moses seeing the great deliverance, the exodus, out of Egypt, you know, seeing all these wonders and the signs and the miracles, hearing God's Word, seeing God's Word. I mean, he knows all this stuff. And so when Aaron looks at the people and points to the golden calf and says, Behold, your God who brought you out of Egypt, it's not like Aaron was that dumb and thought the statue was there. I mean, he knew just a a chapter before there was no statue who brought him out of Egypt, but now he's saying this. Because the idea of the statue uh, in the Old Testament, in the ancient world, was it was something visible and tangible. It was to be a location, a place where the invisible 
deity, the, the divine essence was present for you. Because God, you know, God is present everywhere. But where is he present for you? What Aaron is doing is he's setting up the golden calf and saying he's present right here. Visibly, tangibly see the calf that I've made, and that's where God is there for your benefit, for your blessing. The problem is God never promised to be there at the golden calf for the blessing. Uh, God promises instead, of course, to be at the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Testimony, where he dwells, where he is enthroned on the wings of the cherubim, the cherubim. And so that's the presence of God there. The presence of God is in that pillar, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. So you, you see this here where the Lord appears, and so that appearing is always pointing toward uh, the work of the Incarnation and the second person of the Holy Trinity. You know, John's Gospel in chapter 1, verse 18 says, nobody has ever seen God. Now, I mean, you, you can't help but page through the Old Testament. You say, well, Abraham saw God, Isaac saw God, Jacob saw God. God, Moses. I mean, they've always seen God. But John says nobody's ever seen God. Instead, they've seen the only begotten God who is at the Father's side. So he's the one, the second person, the Son, who reveals the presence of God. He is the face of God. He's the presence of God. So even that language of he came and he stood stood, uh, you know, this the whole standing, this pillar is that which stands, and then even the kavod Yahweh. That kavod Yahweh is this weightiness. It's, it's something tangible. It's visible. It's, it's a place where you can see that the invisible promised presence of God, his face is there for your benefit. And so all of this is, is the worship with God's Word. Um, Aaron had the, the intention, he, he thought what he was doing was right. Uh, he was trying to be a little creative in his worship. You know, he was doing <laughs> worship in the way of his contemporaries. This is what Aaron was used to seeing around him, because this is what the pagans were doing. They would set up a statue and said, this is the location where the deity that we worship is made manifest. This is the location where that deity appeared in a revelation. I mean, so in the ancient world where you have a temple, typically these temples would be built upon a mountain. These temples would be built upon a site where there was a claimed apparition, a claimed vision, a claimed revelation of the deity who came to be with the people. And then you build a house to say that's the location where he comes. I mean, that's, that's without God's word. That's all pagan worship, is you have all kinds of places where the pagans promise that the deities are present for your benefit, but it's not God's presence for your benefit. The promised presence of God is with his word. So even in our day, we can have the intention of this desire to seek God and this desire to serve God, but when we start to become creative in our own imagination, which from our hearts is always corrupted because of sin, then we run the risk of, of going astray and away from God's Word, and instead it's the intention of our own hearts that we think is pleasing to God. But in the end, what idolatry is, is it's, it's you're actually doing what's pleasing to you. <laughs> and then you just, yeah. you kind of put a, a bumper sticker on it and say, you know, pleasing to God, holy to God. Well, it's not holy to God if God never spoke it, God never said it. And this is why we have the written word, so that we can be certain and sure what is pleasing to God, certain and sure what is acceptable, uh, what is delightful, how we gain access to him in his favor. And of course, always that location, the 
word, the promise, is pointing to the person and work of Christ. Even as this whole verse opened up and said, on the eighth day, I mean, that whole eighth day is that mm. that promise of the new creation. God created everything in six days. On the seventh day, he rests, but we're waiting for the eighth day. We're waiting for that rest that only Christ can bring, who is the Lord of the Sabbath, and he is the one who tells us to come to him, and he will give us rest. Well, my, my head is kind of spinning a little bit here, but it's all so wonderful pointing us to Christ once again. And this text really makes a connection that we studied right before Leviticus, which was the book of Hebrews. When it says in verse um, verse 7 that he would make a sin offering and burnt offering for himself. Uh, and, and this goes to Hebrews chapter 5, where it speaks about how the high priest was obligated to sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for his people. And no one takes his honor for himself, but only when God called just called by God, just as Aaron was. But then it goes on to say in chapter 5 that this Jesus does not need to make a sacrifice for himself. And that that's a wonderful connection. I want We have about two minutes left here before our break, uh, Pastor Ketchelmeyer. Do you want to comment on that and that wonderful connection to Jesus as we hear here? Um, yeah, it, so it, it's interesting when Kleinick, uh, Dr. Kleinick, you know, writes his Leviticus commentary, he said he, it's so great he could write his Leviticus commentary so he could talk about Hebrews. And then when he writes his Hebrews commentary, it's so great he can write Hebrews so he can talk about Leviticus. Exactly. It, it's all interrelated. I mean, th- mm. this is the whole concept of, ironically, Hebrews chapter 9 <laughs> and Leviticus 9 are, are so well intertwined mm. that True. you have in Leviticus uh, chapter 9 and in Hebrews chapter 9 that we want something that is greater and more perfect tent than that tent of meeting that we had in the Old Testament, that the blood of goats and calves, it can uh, sprinkle the defiled person, and it can purify the flesh, but it cannot purify the conscience. The blood of Jesus, on the other hand, it can purify the conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And he's the one who brings the eternal covenant in his blood, and he gives the eternal spirit. And so Jesus is the one, who, of course, who is without uh, sin, without blemish, and we're going to talk about that as we go on, but he's the one who gives to us this new covenant. So in chapter 9 of Hebrews, it talks about this, you know, the first covenant was ratified with blood, and this is where Moses sprinkles and says, this is the blood of the covenant, and then, of course, Jesus gives us the new testament, the new covenant in his blood. And so all of that is tied together nicely in Hebrews chapter 9, ironically. Mm. Well, I think we want to continue with that, but right now we need to take our break. We are studying Leviticus chapter 9 with Pastor Brian Ketchelmeyer, and we'll be right back. our voices every day as we speak the gospel, share the latest news, or for insightful and sometimes entertaining talk. Why not share your voice with us and send us your feedback, suggestions, and questions? Leave your comment at 314-996-1542. Be sure to follow us on social media, too, so you can like, comment, and share your favorite posts. 
Drop an email to KFUO at KFUO.org or send a snail mail letter to Worldwide KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. Spanish-speaking Lutherans bring the gospel to their family, friends, and neighbors. This September 15 through October 15, the Lutheran Church Missouri Senate celebrates National Hispanic Heritage Month. Visit lcms.org and learn about historical people and modern evangelists who bring the good news to 460 million people who speak Spanish as their native language. Los luteranos hispanos parlantes comparten las buenas nuevas con sus familiares, amigos y vecinos. Entre el 15 de septiembre y el 15 de octubre, las congregaciones de la Iglesia Luterana, Sínodo de Missouri, celebran el Mes Nacional de la Herencia Hispana. Visite nuestro sitio web, lcms.org, y aprenda sobre los primeros misioneros que sembraron las buenas nuevas en español y los evangelistas modernos que llevan el Evangelio a los 460 millones de personas que hablan español como lengua materna. And welcome back. We are studying Leviticus chapter 9 with Reverend Dr. Brian Ketchelmeyer from Redeemer Lutheran Church in Los Alamos, New Mexico. And Pastor, we ended on a, a wonderful note looking at how Leviticus 9 connects to Hebrews 9. It points us to the high priest of Aaron, which ultimately is fulfilled in the high priest of Jesus, who doesn't need to make a sacrifice for his own sins. He just makes a sacrifice for the sins of the world. Now, Pastor, I want to make sure that we're on the same page as we look at those first seven verses, because I do think it just gets better and better as we continue on. But I want to make sure we're on the right page. So anything else in the first seven verses? Well, if you want to talk about the, the different offerings, I mean, we're talking sin offering, yeah. burnt offering, peace offering, grain offering. When you go into the ancient world, the pagan world, they're going into the promised land. It's the promised land because of the promise that the Christ would be born in Bethlehem, that the Christ would be crucified Jerusalem, that that's the land of the incarnation. That's where he would be conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin. And so that's that promised land. But when they're going to go into the promised land, they're going to walk around in the land of Canaan, and there's going to be all kinds of altars. There's going to be all kinds of offerings, all kinds of sacrifices, all kinds of temples, all kinds of places and locations where the contemporaries say, this is where you have access to the divine. And so the difference is that these offerings are offerings with accordance to God's Word. And so you have that sin offering, and the sin offering, of course, uh, is going to make the atonement with blood. It's cleansing. It provides forgiveness. It prepares the people for access to God's promised presence. You have the whole burnt offering. Now, that whole burnt offering is where you place the whole of the animal. Uh, the, the whole animal gets burnt up, so no portion of the animal is eaten. I mean, you have in the sacrifices, like in the peace offering, in the peace offering, it provides a, a pleasing a Roman because the fire brings the smoke up and you have the incense and the smell and uh, you have this this understanding that portion of the peace offering is on the altar which makes the meat holy for the priest and holy for the Israelites to eat it's a, it's a form of a holy communion, if you will. And so they're communing with God there with the peace offering. In the grain offering, you have bread, you have uh, this, the grain is offered up on the altar, so a portion upon the altar, uh, it's, it, you, you have the grain offering that's given for the priests so that they can have this uh, bread to eat. The sin offering and the burnt offering, of course, usually the sin offering is eaten. Then I think you guys will talk about that in the next uh, chapter 10. Mm -hmm. um, yep. But what happens with the burnt whole offering, you know, Clyde 
Heineck in his commentary will note that there's something a little unusual here, that usually it would be a bull, but instead uh, what this is is actually it's a calf. And I would uh, propose to you that the whole rationale why this is different, that calf, that agel in the Hebrew, that goes back to the calf of Exodus chapter 32, where Aaron creates a golden calf. So it, it's tied back to what Aaron had done before with Aaron's own words, and now what Aaron will do from this point forth with God's words, which are Moses' words, because Moses is the mouthpiece of God. So these, these offerings are in accordance with God's word. He instituted it this way. This is the ritual enactment that you are to do, not to get creative and try to do things in the ways of your contemporaries, because they are going to be tempted to this when they go on the promised land. So let's continue to move forward as we see the offering for himself. As I said, this mentioned this goes to Hebrews chapter 5 as well, that this is a big distinction between Aaron and Jesus. But of course, when we see what Aaron is doing, it points us to Christ. So verses 8 through 14. So Aaron drew near to the altar and killed the calf of the sin offering, which was for himself. And the sons of Aaron presented the blood to him, and he dipped his finger in the blood and put it on the horns of the altar and poured it out the blood at the base of the altar. But the fat and the kidneys and the long lobe of the liver from the sin offering, he burned on the altar as the Lord commanded Moses. The flesh and the skin he burned up with fire outside the camp. Then he killed the burnt offering, and Aaron's son handed him the blood, and he threw it against the sides of the altar. And they handed the burnt offering to him, piece by piece, and the head, and he burned them on the altar. And he washed the entrails and the legs and burned them with the burnt offerings on the altar. So as you just mentioned and, and gave us a very good review of all the offerings, here we see it in action. So what's happening here? Well, before I, I did misspeak about the, the I, I said the, the calf, the agel, the Hebrew word there was for the burnt offering. We're talking about the sin offering. I mean, so this is a sin offering. Oh, sure. And what's really interesting about the sin offering itself is, is this, this word, uh, this, this Hebrew word for sin, has a twofold meaning, like a lot of words when you look at a dictionary. And so either it actually means sin or it means sin offering. Now, that's a very strange thing, that it all depends upon who's doing it, and is it in accordance with God's Word or contrary to God's Word. So if it's contrary to God's Word, it's something you do, it's sin. If it's in accordance with God's Word, with this, uh, this whole ritual, the ceremony that God has instituted, then it becomes a sin offering. And what's theologically wonderful about this is it teaches us this understanding that your sin, your act against God's Word, that is now sin, it provokes God to anger. But now with God's Word, in His promise, then that sin is placed upon an animal. So that animal becomes the substitute for you. And so that animal dies instead of you. So the wages of sin is death. So now that animal becomes sin. And in this way, the, the sin offering, the animal is that sin offering. So that we understand theologically that Jesus is the one who knew no sin, yet he became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. So you have this, this theologically rich, charged understanding of what's going on with a sin offering. I mean, so I, I think that's wonderful. But I, I, again, even with the calf, it's going back to what 
Aaron had done with his sin, uh, that he was making a calf out of the gold. I mean, so when you make something, you take the created things (laughs) and use the created things to make something out of your own creative mind. The, the, The problem with that is you don't have God's Word. And so in the end, in idolatry, you're actually worshiping the creation instead of the Creator, because you don't have the Creator's Word, you have your own Word. And so your whole, this whole play on even the gold itself, you know, you're trying to cling to the gold and the silver and the money and the metal. I mean, that's the whole way of this world, the sin, instead of clinging to the Creator and to God. And so with this contrast between Aaron and the true high priest, which is Jesus, I mean, you go back to Hebrews chapter 10, like you're saying, uh, or chapter 9, I mean, you got this whole emphasis that Jesus, the true high priest, that doesn't need to make uh, an offering for his own sin. He had no sin, but yet he becomes sin for us. So he's, he's not only the priest, but he's also the sacrifice. <laughs> and so all of this is all uh, tied together. And it, what, what, again, even in Hebrews chapter 13, there's that whole understanding that we, in the New Testament, in the blood of Jesus, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. So we're talking about an altar. We're talking about the tent of God's promised presence in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, Mosaic Covenant. Uh, the one that was inaugurated with blood, where Moses says, this is the testament. Uh, and so you, you have in the Old Testament a tent and an altar, but we have something better. I mean, they had the bodies of animals and the blood of animals, but yet we have the body and the blood of Jesus. And so in uh, Hebrews chapter 13, he even talks about how that, that sac- the sacrifice uh, was burned outside the camp, and so that's why Jesus then suffered outside the gate to sanctify his people with his own blood. So you have that transition in the New Testament where we are no longer uh, stuck at Jerusalem, where the temple is and where the the altar is, because now with the incarnation, uh, the church is sent out to all nations, go to all nations. And so wherever that word of God is present, he is promised to be there. He is with us until the end of the age. And in a very unique way, at the altar that we serve, at the table where we serve, at where we receive the body and the blood of Jesus. Now notice that in this case, in the old Testament, here in Leviticus chapter 9, you have an altar, you have blood, but the blood is, it's sprinkled, it's thrown upon the side of the altar. But in the New Testament, we have something better. It's not just a sign of the the things to come. We have the reality. We have the very body of Jesus. We have the very blood of Jesus that is given to us from the altar. So instead of sprinkling it and spraying it and throwing it upon the altar, we administer it from the altar into the mouth to be eaten and to be received in a thanksgiving. And so all of this is tied together with what Aaron is doing here, showing us the reality, and we're waiting for the truth to come. And so blood is vitally important in the Old Testament. It's a very bloody thing. You've got blood thrown all over the place. Even, even when Moses was uh, giving them the, the covenant, the, the original you know, testament at Mount Sinai, he's, he's throwing blood all over the people. He's throwing blood uh, against the altar, and he's sprinkling the people with blood. So blood is everywhere. Half of the blood on the people, half the blood on the altar, uh, all of that is, is what Moses is doing in Exodus chapter 24. So as we look at 
his sacrifice for himself, the sin offering, the burnt offering. Um, he just goes through some of the details, which we've been rehashing for quite a while. Um, and I just wanted to check before we go to the people's offering, because when he gets to the people, boy, there's some fun stuff. But also, it's just, like you said over and over, we got with Hebrews 5 and 9, the importance of Aaron. He's a person, just like you and I. He needs to make that sacrifice for himself, which points us to the future sacrifice of Christ. And we have that same, we have the blood that we don't need to sprawl on an altar, but we are given it to eat and to drink on a holy place, as it says, Sorel Leviticus. So anything else you want to share with his offerings before we get to the people's offerings? Well, I, I, I think, again, that the, the importance here is it's kind of like a restart, Aaron was the one. I mean, when you go back and you read this uh, face value, Exodus chapter 32, you read Exodus chapter 32 and you say, how come Aaron got away with this? I mean, you, you know, Aaron, <laughs> Moses says, what have you done? And he says, I don't know what I've done. They gave me gold. I threw it in. You know, I threw it together. And this is what we got. You know, bippity-boppity-boo. I mean, it's just this. And Aaron gets off scot-free. But, of course, if you look into uh, uh, Deuteronomy uh, uh, chapter 9, uh, you, you see where Moses is interceding. So you see the significance of even Aaron himself needs one to intercede for him. And it's only because of the intercession of Moses that Aaron receives the mercy of God. And now you have a restart and this whole point of God's institution, that God's intention with God's word, what he said back in Exodus 27 was Aaron and his sons would serve at this tent of meeting. And now you're seeing this uh, offering, this uh, unique sin offering with the calf, the agel, and this is for Aaron to cleanse Aaron, to purify Aaron, to prepare Aaron to actually do what God originally intended in Exodus 27. And so this is significant for the people to see this, that Moses, who rejected what Aaron did in Exodus 32, now Moses is assuring the people that Aaron is the man that God has placed into this office of high priest instituted by God, and Aaron's sons, according to God's word, would serve then as priest for the people. So this is very important that you start off first with that uh, sin offering for Aaron. And that's really a helpful distinction that I had kind of overlooked, is that reality of God's grace being upon Aaron, who obviously messed up, in many ways didn't know he messed up. Like you said, well, I don't know, what, what's wrong? I just put it in here, I did this, what, what's the problem? Um, and and it reminds of the grace that he had for Aaron. One, he needed the sin offering. But two, that that he is there according to God's word. And that means for you and I, and for all of us, for you, our listeners, that this Savior, this this Lord who was there for Aaron and gave him a restart, he gives us a restart in Christ. I mean, real shortly, Pastor, any thoughts on that as we continue to move forward? Well, and again, we want to emphasize that restart in Christ is never an abstract idea. It's never mm. just the thought that God is merciful. It's not just a bumper sticker theology. It's the reality that we have in His promise. It's always tied to God is merciful because of the person and work of Christ. Because of Christ, we have favor with God. He is now pleased with us. He's pleased with His Son, and in Christ, we are a new creation. There is no condemnation. That God sees us as perfect sons in Christ, because we are covered with His righteousness. So the mercy of God is always the mercy of God attached to His Word. It's never just the 
abstract idea that God is love, God is merciful, God is nice. Mm. It's never that abstract idea. It's always this concrete understanding that we know for certain and sure that God is merciful because of his word. So the emphasis over and over again through these verses is as Moses commanded, as Yahweh commanded, as Yahweh commanded Moses, so that we're sure that this wasn't Aaron's word. It wasn't Aaron's opinion. It wasn't Aaron's creative worship. It wasn't Aaron's thought. Instead, we can be certain and sure Moses is the mouthpiece of God, and he's giving the clear word to the people so they can be certain and sure that they have found favor with God according to the promise. God is merciful according to his promise because of the person and work of Christ. And of course, Christ doesn't need a mediator. Moses is the mediator for Aaron. Christ doesn't need a mediator. He is the mediator between God and man. Uh, but right. the emphasis of God's word here. And that's it's an important uh, word. And I want to get to that. I want to get to that. And I want to just rehash this: that when we say God is love, that if you don't connect that to Christ, it's just a it's a bumper sticker, as you said so well. That if we say, "Well, uh, you know, I have faith," and you don't connect it to Christ, it is just it's just a bland statement. It may as well be the altars that you talked about among the pagans. Well, I have faith. I have an altar right here. You have this, da, da, da. And it's showing these altars, which brings a sacrifice. It always is connected back to Christ. Make sure that Christ is always part of the lingo, not as a passing statement on account of his cross and his resurrection, that that is what we cling to. And we filter it as we look at today's text. Now, Pastor Ketchumar, we have to continue on through the text here because we could probably talk about that the rest of the hour. So let's keep moving forward. Verses 15 through 21, as he makes a sacrifice for the people. Then he presented the people's offering and took the goat of the sin offering that was for the people and killed it and offered it as a sin offering like the first one. And he presented the burnt offering and offered it according to the rule. And he presented the grain offering, took a handful of it and burned it at the altar beside the burnt offering of the morning. Then he killed the ox and the ram, the sacrifice of peace offerings for the people. And Aaron's sons handed him the blood. And he threw it against the sides of the altar. But the fat pieces of the ox and of the ram, the fat tail and which covers the entrails, and the kidneys and the long lobe of the liver. And they put the fat pieces on the breast, and he burned the fat pieces on the altar. But the breast and the right thigh Aaron waved for a wave offering before the Lord, as Moses commanded. So now the offering goes, goes towards the people. So what's happening here? Well, again, notice this, I mean, this seems very strange to us, use that last language that you use, Aaron waved for a wave offering. I mean, just yeah, right. out of context, this just seems really weird. What is a wave offering? What does that even mean? But the understanding here is that the people can see what Aaron is doing. And so Aaron holds it up so the people can see. But Aaron is also holding up before Yahweh, the face of Yahweh. So now Aaron is, as a priest, he now stands before the people, and they see Aaron, but he's also standing before Yahweh for the people. And so he is there before the face of Yahweh, and so Yahweh can see the offering in accordance with the word. 
the people can see the offering in accordance with the word. So again, this is the emphasis of that word, that certainty that this is not Aaron's idea. Remember, Aaron, when he made the golden calf, he says, behold, he says, look and see, look what I've made. (laughs) This is Mm, Yahweh. He's here. No, no, that was not Yahweh's promised presence for their benefit. Yes, God is everywhere. But where does he promise to be present for the benefit of the people? So this is the understanding of holding this up so that the people can see it, but also that God can see it, because it's before the face of God. So now Aaron is standing before the face of God himself. So all of this, again, is tied to the significance of worship with God's Word, blood in the way that God wants them to use blood. I mean, remember also, we go all the way back to uh, Genesis chapter 9, where you can't eat blood. I mean, so in the pagan world, you're eating blood, but in accordance with God's Word, you're not eating blood in the Mosaic covenant, the Mosaic Testament. And so how do you use blood? You're not drinking it, you're not eating it, but instead you're throwing it against the altar. That this is the altar with the blood that is connected to the promise of God's Word. So the people are seeing these things. It's a very visible, it's a very tangible uh, action that's taking place here. So as we look at this, uh, he's making the sacrifice for the people, the wave offering, that was a great explanation, because that was one of those that I think we've always, is very short in its explanations of the wave offering. So it's very helpful to see here it is to, for the people and for the Lord. So now it's for the people. He's made the sin offering for himself. He's done it for the people. Now we get to the, the kind of the, the revelation, if you will, in the last few verses. But I want to get to that quick. But I want to make sure. Is there anything more you want to talk about the peace offerings and sin offerings for the people? Uh, I, I think we're good here, but I mean, just notice again that in these offerings, these are in accordance with God's word, and you have the peace offering with meat that is going to be eaten. Uh, you also have the grain offering for bread mm-hmm. that's going to be eaten by the priest. I mean, so there is this aspect of eating in the presence of God, that you have this understanding that Aaron and his sons are priests, and yet all the people are a priesthood nation. I mean, so it's a nation of priests. But then you have a distinction between, as we would say in the New Testament, the priesthood of the baptized, and then those who are placed into this preaching office. So Moses and his sons are being placed in this office before the people, and the people can gather to partake in this meal, in this communion, in this eating before the face, before the presence of God. So the people, it's not just the priest is doing something off by himself. I mean, there will be times like the morning sacrifice, the evening sacrifice, where you're not present at the temple and seeing these things, and you know the priest is doing it. But the three times a year, you're going to go up and you're going to participate in this. And so this is kind of setting this into motion, that three times a year you will go publicly and participate. The rest of the time, the priest is doing all the daily sacrifices. But yet, this is a public ceremony, so the people are part of this whole ritual and enactment going on right now. So let's continue to the end as we see probably and this is this is the culmination. This is the exciting part. We have about six minutes left here, Pastor. So let's dig in. Verses 22 through 24. Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he came down from offering the sin offering and burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared to all people. 
And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Uh, Pastor, this is this is one of the great stories of the scriptures. So we have five minutes to cover it. So what do you what do you want to start? Well, we want to start with the word blessed. Okay, so this Barak, this is what God does the first time in Genesis chapter 1. God blesses Adam and Eve that they would be fruitful and multiply. So it's with God's word, he's blessing the people for life and this continuance of life. And so that blessing now is what God is going to do for the benefit of the people. The wage of sin is death, but God's word is going to bless the people for the continuance of life, that they would continue to live fruitfully, multiplying here upon earth. In fact, this is what we also see in Exodus chapter 20, where we have the Ten Commandments, but we also have that promise at the end of Exodus chapter 20, where God says, "...in every place where I cause my name to be remembered..." I will come, and I will bless you. So again, this is God's action at the place where he promises. Not these other temples, not these other sites or locations, but at the location where God himself gives his word, and he gives his ritual in accordance with that word. And that's where he's going to bless them. And so you have Aaron lifting up his hands, and he's blessing the people. Now, of course, that whole significance of this is what happened in Numbers chapter 6, which we continue to do in the Lutheran liturgy at the end, where the pastor who's placed in his preaching office ends the whole service with those words of Aaron, Aaron's blessing in number six. You know, Yahweh bless you and keep you. Yahweh make his face shine upon you. That's the presence of God. And he would be gracious to you that Yahweh would look upon you with favor and give you peace. And so you, you have this assurance that with that blessing, with God's word, that you have God present there. And of course, uh, the trifold thri- uh, blessing with the name of Yahweh three times, of course, is a testimony to the Holy Trinity, obviously. Uh, but you, you have this blessing. And what's significant here is it's Moses and Aaron. Remember, at the golden calf, it was Aaron, who's the bad guy, if you will, doing what he thinks is right at his own sight, and it's Moses and Joshua on the other side. Now, all of a sudden, you have Aaron shifted over to the side of Moses. So it's not just Moses going into the tent of meeting, it's Moses and Aaron going into the tent of meeting, and then they come out together, and then they both bless the people. And so you have this significance of Aaron being placed into this office, that the people People would be certain and sure that this is where we know God is pleased, where God uh, gives to us his favor, his acceptance, in the work of Aaron, according to God's word in the rituals that God himself has instituted. So there's something very different going on here, something new that's taking place, and then you have the fire that comes out from the tent. And so it consumes the the, the burnt offerings upon the altar. So it's not a man-made uh, a fire, if you will, that you would, Aaron said, hey, I think it'd be a good idea if we put fire over here, and let me go rub some sticks together and make some fire, right? It, instead, it's the fire comes from God to assure you that it's this altar, not these other altars in the land of Canaan that also have fire, not these other altars or these other places. There's man-made fire. This is fire from God, and it's from the promised presence of God in the tent of meeting at the Ark of the Covenant, which is the throne or the seat of God, where you can visibly, tangibly see the cherubim, the cherubim upon the Ark, which is the, the seat where God sits invisibly. 
Aaron was trying to produce a seat with the golden calf, but God never promised to be present sitting upon the golden calf or standing upon the golden calf. But now we have the assurance from the Ark of the Testimony that the fire comes from God. It ignites and it lights that altar. And now the sacrifices that are done at that altar, this is the place where God makes his name known, where he promises that his name would be remembered, that he promises to be present, and he promises to bless. And so God's going to bless with his word through, instrumentally, through Aaron's voice. So when you hear the voice of Aaron, you hear the voice of God. Now, how can you be certain if it's the voice of God? You have the written word. So you can be certain and sure that this isn't a new word, a different word. It's God's word, the word that came from Moses. So we have about a minute left here, Pastor. How would you summarize this chapter for for then and, and for now? Well, I'd summarize this again, that God is restarting everything, what Aaron had made undone, if you will. God is redoing, and he is he's once again putting things back into order. Aaron brought chaos. God puts things back into order in accordance with his words so that the people can be certain and sure of God's favor and God's presence, that all of this points to what God will do when the Word will become flesh and tabernacle amongst us in the New Testament, that it's only in Jesus do we have access to the Father uh, through the Son and the Holy Spirit, that it's only through Jesus that we have a mediator who stands before God for us and assures us of the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. So all of this is a picture of the reality that they were waiting for, and now we have something better in the New Testament. Pastor Brian Ketchemeyer of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Los Alamos, New Mexico, giving us God's strong word from Leviticus chapter 9. Pastor Ketchemeyer, thank you for giving us the gifts. Oh, you are most welcome. Saints of our Lord, Aaron was the high priest and a good one, but he was still a sinner, as we saw in his past, and needed to make a sacrifice for himself. He needed a restart, and we see the restart today, but we see it even more so in the great high priest. As we hear in Hebrews, his final sacrifice on the cross was not for himself, but for you to make a restart for your sins, not account of you, but account of Christ for you and the whole world. That's where we see his glory, and that's where we see him. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.